Thanks, brother. Uh, thank you, Mike. Um, it, it really is uh, overwhelming to be here with you this morning. I, um, I just found myself weeping at different points um, during the service, just, just amazed that God has planted a church in Sydney, Australia, and somehow used me to, to in any small way contribute to that. Uh, the, the new members being up here, what, what, a, what a holy thing that was. Uh, and just your enthusiasm, even, I, I feel like a new member here. The way I was greeted, uh, the love and the joy in this room, I'm, I'm just, I am just overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed for many reasons, not the least of which, I, I trust you know this, it is an awesome privilege to be a part of a New Testament church. Please don't take that lightly. That you are here sitting under sound doctrine is, is a miracle worth celebrating. But as Mike mentioned, this, this church means uh, so much to me. It actually, you know, I have to adjust Mike a tiny bit. It's not true that he rocked up with nothing. Um, I think that means came Rocked means king. So it, it's not true that he rocked up with nothing. He actually brought his pillow with him uh, to, to America. So, so it was more than pride we needed to work on. Uh, this guy is such a joy to me. He is such a good friend. It, I mean, he really did just, it was like a car accident. He just crashed into my life. And uh, I was trying to think of an analogy, Mike, and... Um, and what a kindred spirit we had, uh, just praying. And I, I knew nothing about Sydney. Believe me, I got an earful about Sydney from Mike. Um, but, but not just that, a, a passion to see gospel expansion here. And so it's just hard to believe. But seven years ago, I, I started praying for you. I didn't know you. I just knew of this city and this guy that wanted to see what we were doing replicated. And so it's just such an incredible thing. And then that intersects with my, my friendship with, with Dave and Emma. Um, I knew Dave from Pastors College. I was part of the church that he, the Pastors College was hosted in. And so just hit it off with him immediately. And then we got to spend time with him and Emma at different conferences. And Dave's spoken uh, at our church and stayed in our home. And what a lovely home the Taylors have. They've been such a great host to us here. And so um, when I heard he was going to be planting this church and partnering with Mike. I just, wow, what an awesome thing to have such godly friends uh, leading a new work here. So I'm just, I'm overjoyed. I'm overjoyed to, to have my wife with me. I'm overjoyed to, to be in a different country for the first time, which I'm sure you can tell is the case. Um, but let me just, I'll just end with one joy um, that perhaps outweighs them all. I'm my joy this morning is that I get to preach to you God's infallible, transforming Word. And, and it's going to make a claim on your life this morning. And it's going to transform you this morning. So would you turn with me to the particular passage where we will hear God's voice. It is in Psalm 37. And I'll be concentrating on verses 1 through 9. Psalm 37. If you're not familiar with the Bible, it's right around the middle. Psalm 37. 
verses 1 through 9, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoer shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Will you please join me in prayer over God's holy word? Lord, I am, I'm just, I'm beside myself that I'm worshiping you with your people in a foreign country, in a place that I've only looked at in maps and read about and watched on TV. What an awesome thing this is, and I so want to serve these good people. And my hope is not in my ability, Lord. I renounce any vestige of that in this moment. I want to trust you. This is not about me. It's actually not about us. It's not about our cultures. It's not about anything but your greatness. And, and I pray that would, would just would scream out from this text that this little church would trust the great God that has given them birth and life and hope and a future. Bless your word in the preaching of it, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever experienced anxiety in trying to catch a plane? Well, that's happened to me multiple times, including just a couple of days ago. But the most pronounced time was many years ago. I... We arrived at the airport. Uh, this airport is known as Dulles, which kind of goes along with its name, Dulles. Um, we arrived here, and I've been to about, I don't know, maybe a dozen airports in my life. Dulles would rank 20th out of those 12 in terms of competence and timeliness. So we get to Dulles at 7 in the morning, and and I know that the line that's going all the way out the door and down the sidewalk can't make me fret, but it sure felt like it. It, it. it was just bad. So it just took a long time to finally get in. When we got into the doors, not even checked in yet to get our, um, what are those things called? Um, the board test. I told you I'm not really well traveled, right? 
So I noticed this sign that says, if you don't check your bags within 45 minutes, um, turn around and go home. See you later. Uh, you're not getting on the plane. And so I, I look at my, my watch, and this is where the fretting really began. Here's what I did, and, and I know you're going to laugh, and I know this is sad, but I looked at my watch. It was like 7.30, and then I calculated 45. Oh, so we have 45 minutes. Okay, there's a, a, a 20 people in front of us. Those two look like they're together. There are a couple. They're talking. I think it's about 11 units. 11 divided by 30 is 4.75 minutes per person is the only way we're going to make it. I mean, it was... It was sad. And then somebody got out of line, and I'm like, yes, we're off to five. We can average five minutes per person, and I'll make it. And, and, and the guy in front of me, listen, would move just, just a couple of inches, and I would pick up my bags, and I would, just, I would just inch them forward. This is not exaggeration. I think I moved my bags forward like 56 times. I'm just like, huh? He's like, and he's like, what is wrong with you? And I'm just pushing them forward. I, I, my, my anxiety was just was just off the charts. And it didn't get any better when you had to go through security. The line just, again, snaked everywhere. And then, you know, the guys are screaming at you. Take your laptop out of your bag. And then, you know, if you try to go through the metal detector somewhat because, you know, your, your belt is off and your pants are falling down, you kind of want to get dressed again quickly. You know, they're taking you out of there in cuffs. And then it, I wish I could say my fretting ended there. We did catch our plane on time. But then we, we flew to California and... And we had a lot of trouble getting the rental car, and then I got lost in this place called Stanton, was it? I, I, Staunton, I think, was the name of this place. And I drove, listen to this, 150 miles in the wrong direction. <laughs> and I forgot to tell you why I was going. I'm going there to perform a wedding, the first wedding I'd ever do as a pastor. And so I'm driving, I, I said, Lord, that sign says San Francisco and I don't know my geography real well, but I know that's on the Pacific Ocean. And Tori lives in the Sierra Nevada Mountains, which is on the western end of the state. And so we, you know, I, I missed the whole uh, rehearsal dinner. And by God's grace, he, he certainly provided. But here's what the outcome of that experiment was. I, I realized I'm a fretter. I, I'm a serious fretter. I, I've got anxiety issues. And not just with with major pressuresome issues like that, even, even in the little things, I, I, I can't stop controlling, being f- fretful, nervous. And I desperately needed what God's Word had to say to me here in Psalm 37. Now, by God's grace, I had actually already memorized that passage and had begun to study it, and, and it really ministered to me. I, I would say not just ministered to me, I would say it delivered me from that sinful pattern as I began to understand just what it was teaching. And I trust that it's going to give that same kind of grace for you. And here's, here's the simplest application that I would want you to take away. This is the central command of this text. This is what is going to set you free. That is, if you're like me, if you're anxious, if you fret, this is what's going to liberate you. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. That's it. It shows up in verse 3, and then again in verse 5. Trust in the Lord. That's actually what it means to be a Christian. We're called believers. We are trusters. Those who trust in the Lord. And more technically... The exhortation here is to trust in Yahweh. 
Trust in the great I Am that Dave mentioned a moment ago in worship. Trust in the Creator, the Deliverer, the Covenant God of Israel. Trust in Him and His sovereign control over His universe. That, that's, that's the solution. That's the antidote to anxiety. It is, it is just to trust the Lord. But knowing that and doing that are two entirely different things. But, but that's where Psalm 37 is going to come in and really rescue us. It, it's going to bridge that gap, explaining in the verses surrounding that command exactly how and why we are to trust the Lord. And it's going to begin, it's going to begin by providing for us discernment as to when we are not trusting God. That is when we are fretting. So look with me, if you would, again at verse 1. And this is also going to be point one if you're taking notes. Fret not yourself. That, that's it. That's number one. Fret not yourself. And here's what that means. It, it means no fretting yourself. <laughs> fret not yourself. You're, you're not allowed to fret. You're not allowed to worry. Anxiety is forbidden. Fret not yourself. Now, when I first read that, I think I fretted a little bit, but I think my, my other reaction was the complaint. Like, oh, come on, that's not reasonable. I mean, there are so many wonderful things to fret about. I, what, what would occupy my mind if I wasn't able to to make up terrible scenarios and kind of play out how everything is going to go wrong. I mean, that's, that's like a hobby of mine. <laughs> now, the specific occasion for, for the context of this passage is actually that of persecution. Don't, don't read the Psalms as these independent poems. No, like, like every other portion of, their Bible, of your Bible, there's a context. And in this case, it's the psalm that comes right before where David's enemies are, are plotting against him. They're giving the king serious reason, occasion to fear. So he's speaking to his soul at the beginning of 37 and saying, fret not yourself because of evildoers. But, but don't just dismiss the application because no one is currently scheming your death. Now, what we share in common with the writer here is the reality that much of our fretting is connected to people, isn't it? To, to the effects that others have on us. Our anxiety is, is so often tied to, to relationships, especially to those that aren't furthering our interests. We fret, don't we, in, in connection to our boss, our children, our, our spouse, our friends, our neighbors, our, our parents, our, our pastors. And, and we grow increasingly worrisome to the degree that they're sinning against us. How could my supervisor make those comments about me? 
is my wife going to react in anger when I come home late? Why can't my dad let me be like the other kids? Will I ever get married? What do people think about my appearance? See, fretting almost invariably is tied to others, but it's not limited to that. Verse 8 just categorically forbids all worry. Look what it says there. It just says, fret not yourself, period. Not fret not yourself because of evildoers. Nope. Fret not yourself, period. So, so non-human things are off limits. You're not allowed to fret about your cat or your house or, or money or, or, or anything like a disease. Anxiety is unacceptable in all circumstances. And the psalmist is going to disclose why. But first, he's going to identify the symptoms, the fruit that reveals fretting. Now, I actually think I'm going to pause here. That means time out in my country. I'm going to, I'm going to slow down for a second. Um, and I, I have really been praying that you would understand me um, and my, my version of English. How, how are we doing so far? Do you need translation? Should we have... And I cannot understand Dave Taylor. Listen, I want you to know, if you're from Australia, I'm grateful because I understand you better than I understand these Brits. I love these Brits, but I'm like, I'm like two sentences down still trying to figure out the context is going to give me what he said. I know it. What the... So I'm really praying that you would understand me. And, and you wouldn't know this, but even from my country, I have horrible English. I come from this section. Oh, anyway, I won't. I won't. It's not the most educated part of our country. So, um, so let me slow down a second. And I want, to, I want to try to pause to, I want to arrange for you what I think is, is, are the multiple connections of this passage. Remember the first point we're considering. It's just simply fret not yourself. That's, that's point one. Uh, don't do it. And we're going to consider further under that heading the results of fretting. What reveals or shows if we are fretting. But before we get further into that, I want to mention something about how that, this text is structured because it doesn't proceed chronologically. That the psalm is arranged in a way that the opening two verses, that's one and two, and then the closing two verses, technically 7b, but I'll just say 7 through 9, those two verses talk about not fretting. So point one is taken from the beginning and the end, but point two, which again I just draw straight from the text, which is to trust in the Lord, we'll see that in the middle section, that's verses 3 through 7a. Okay, so, so that's all there is to the sermon. The, the points come right from the text. Fret not yourself. That's at the beginning and the end. Trust in the Lord is the heart. It's the core of this passage. And we'll get to that. So we're still on verse 1. Fret not yourself. That theme shows up again in verse 7 where it says, fret not yourself. And it's repeated again in verse 8 where the overarching effect of fretting is revealed. Fret not yourself because it tends only to evil. Listen, if you're wondering what your worry produces, what's going to come of it, guess no more. The Bible emphatically tells us it tends only 
to evil. That's the only thing fretting brings about. When you fret, the outcome, this is a strong word, is evil. Now, that being the case, should, should we not be very suspicious toward our propensity to justify anxiety? Should, should, should we take lightly what Scripture here calls evil, minimizing it like I do with words like, well, I'm just stressed. Now, I'm not denying that, that we experience pressure and, and deadlines and problems and disappointments, but what I'm saying is that our fretful response to those things is, is not neutral. It's not, it's not excusable. It's actually evil. And all fretting, all of it, tends that way. Listen, we, we have to see this danger that the psalmist is warning us about here. And we have to stop justifying our worry. Because where it is present in our lives, evil is not far. And verse 7 will disclose a particular expression of evil. Did you catch it? It's envy. One of the manifest signs that fretting is occurring in your life is whenever you're envious of others. Look at verse 1 again. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of those who do wrong. And then again at the end of verse 7, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. What is a primary way to detect fretting in your life? Look no further than envy. For, for where there is jealousy, especially towards unbelievers, then a lack of trust is taking place. Here's how envy and, and fretting tend to go together in my life. Do you know what I worry about most? Money. I, I wish I didn't, but I, I do. When, when my bank account is low, I, I start to fret. And not only do I fret, I start to compare. I start to, to envy. I, I start to, to want what others have. I, I, I see people with with new clothes and, and my five-year-old shirt that I was content with a moment ago doesn't feel so stylish. I, cars actually are a temptation as well. I live, in, I live in a neighborhood that just showcases Porsches and BMWs and, and Land Rovers and I drive a 14-year-old minivan with with lots of dents and the carpeting on the ceiling is coming down lower and lower and it basically looks like a preschool is run out of it. You know what I'm talking about, petrified french fries, you know, just the... You guys have kids, right? Okay. I can tell the ones who do and who don't. But, but it's, not, it's not just material possessions that I'm tempted to envy. Often... 
my fretting has to do with lifestyles. When things in my church get difficult, which is more often than I would want, I'm tempted to fret in my thoughts, but I'm also tempted to be just jealous. When I see unbelievers, I, I view them as having this, this luxury of being able to escape their pressures. They can live for relaxation or pursue any hobby they want and, and just medicate their problems with entertainment or food or anything their hearts desire. Here's what God says. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Where you are jealous, it's evidence you're fretting yourself. You're fretting yourself and it's only going to lead to evil. It's only going to lead to discontentment, to these futile attempts to control and, and to the loss of peace. So that's one indicator that Psalm 37 gives us of fretting. It's where envy is present. The other indicator the psalmist gives here is that of anger. Anxiety is also at hand whenever sinful anger is demonstrated. Notice that in verse 8. Look at your Bibles with me. Refrain from anger. There it is. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Now, so much could be said about anger. This, this to- Dave could address this topic well into 2014 and only be scratching the surface. It's just, it's so prevalent and exhaustive in our lives. So, so just for the sake of time, would you, would you all give me that you're, you're angry? Do you know this about yourself? You, you, don't, you don't have to be throwing pots across the room. You can just be seething inside. You're not getting your way. And, and you're angry. Do you, is this you? Do you get angry at traffic jams like me? And angry when you had, I don't know, outdoor plans and it's raining? Do you, do you get angry like me when your computer crashes or, or when your clothes are stained or when you're still trying to pretend like you can play basketball at age 43 and you're throwing up air balls and you get angry, right? Yes. You get angry when you were, you were just thinking about this one food and you open the fridge and who ate that? You get angry, right? You get angry like, I'm still not sure I got, you get angry, right? When you walk into your daughter's room when she's three and happen to go number two in her pants and decided to try to clean herself up and of course being in the bedroom having any toilet paper decided to use well her shirts and pants and then knowing that that was kind of messy thought well I better hide the evidence as well as the sewage under my bed and under my dresser and as if when I walked in and the smell and the stains on the walls wouldn't give it away. You get angry like me, right? What are you doing? <laughs> am, am I, Dave, am I alone? You guys, are, are we, listen, are you, your laughter's giving you away, right? You're, you're angry. We're angry. Get angry right now. Okay, thank you. Someone is 
We're, we're, listen, this meeting, if we wanted to, could double as an anger management seminar. It could. I could prove this to you if you need more evidence. We're an angry people. And I don't, I don't have time to, um, to elaborate on this, but I, I want you to make the connection here between anger and fretting. Because it's, it's illicit. Look, look back again at verse 8. Refrain from anger... Forsake wrath. Here's the very next line. Fret not yourself. Listen, these guys go together. If you're angry, you're anxious. You you cannot separate them. Anger and fretting. Wrath. They're one. When you are angry, somehow... There is worry driving that somehow there's a lack of trust in God behind your rage. Now, I don't, as I mentioned, I can't, I can't go further into that, but that's, that's point one. We're told, fret not yourself, remember? It's going to only lead to evil, but here's two ways to know. You're envious, you're jealous, and you're angry. Now, in the next point, what we're going to observe is not just the way fretting manifests. We're going to look at the root or the source of our fretting as well as the solution to it. And that's covered under the title, Trust in the Lord. Number one was, fret not yourself. Number two, trust in the Lord. So we're in the center of the psalm now. Verse 4. And this is, this is the crucial information that can go so easily undetected. But start back with me at verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Did you catch that phrase? The desires of the heart. That therein we've come to the crux of the matter. This is the root of our anxiety. It's what you desire. It's what you want. That's what, that's what contains actually the solution as to why you don't trust God and fret yourself. But notice, what you want, the desires of your heart, are not necessarily bad. In fact, God, it says here, actually wants to give you the desires of your heart. Now, that's not to say we can't have desires, evil desires or cravings that He will not endorse. But the majority of the time, what you and I want, the desires of our heart, are not bad. The problem is what we do when we don't get them or how we go about trying to get them. That's what makes them corrupt. Let me, let me try to explain. Here's the question. What kind of heart desires, what kind of things that you want, do you tend to fret about? Think about a lot. What worry about? Get, get, remember else how to tell? Are anxious when you don't get them? Are angry? Or, or are envious that others have? Think about that. What is that thing that you desire that brings out those Patterns of fear and, and wrath. What is it? A, a, a good marriage where there's understanding and, and encouragement and, and intimacy? 
There's, there's nothing wrong with wanting that. That's a good thing. How about, ladies, how about a clean, organized home? It's not sinful to want that. Would anyone here like a, a more enjoyable, better paying job? You're all perfectly happy? They're allowed, you're allowed to talk back here, right, Mike? You can... Yeah. Dave? I know Mike wants a more enjoyable, better paying job, so I can at least speak for him. Yeah. <laughs> It, it, you, you desire that in your heart. Don't, don't, you don't have to be super spiritual. It's okay if you want a promotion, if you want more money. Those, those aren't inherently wrong. Does, does any, any parent here want their child to serve the Lord or, or be obedient or, or be quiet for like two minutes? That's, that's not necessarily an idol. Teens, do you, do you desire freedom or... Or responsibility or excitement. Singles, do you want to share your life with someone? Listen, God, God wants to give you the good desires of your heart. But here's the revealing question in all of this. Are you looking to Him for the fulfillment of those things or to yourself? Who is going to be the source of getting what you want? The, the Lord and His sovereign and good timing or your anxious, demanding efforts? What's going to get you these things? See, that, that's where fretting comes from. It's from looking to ourselves to bring about the desires of our heart. Look, look back at verse 1. I, I, I want to try to prove this to you from the text. Verse 1 says, Fret not yourself. Yourself. Do you see it there? Fret not yourself. That's the problem. It's yourself. That's the root of fretting. Fret not yourself. Here's the opposite. Trust in the Lord. So, it's yourself or the Lord. Those are the, the only choices. You either are fretting yourself or you're trusting in the Lord. And when you look to your own resources, your own abilities to, to make you happy or to perfect your circumstances, you can be sure of this. There is plenty to fret about. In fact, I would encourage you to worry even more. Because you can't change anything. You, you can't protect yourself from your enemies. That's in verse 7. You can't possess the land. That's verse 9. You can't guarantee your finances. That's verse 21. You can't heal yourself from sickness. That's verse 24. You can't save your children. Verse 28. If you place your, your hope in yourself for those things, the only guarantee you get is anger and envy and evil. Are you tracking with me that the problem is never, ever in the act of trust. It is always in the object of trust. You, you are not deficient in this area. You are always trusting something. You are inherently trusting something. If, if someone comes up to me and says, you know, Bob, you made that point, but I've got to tell you, I, I disagree. I, I don't trust anyone. 
Do you know what I would say to you? I hope I would do it graciously and with English words that are common to us. I would say, yes, you do. You trust yourself. You trust your own assessment that no one else is trustworthy. You you trust your experience. You're trusting your feelings above all. See, the same is true of our faith. You, You don't need some some special endowment or anointing of faith. If you're in unbelief, you have amazing faith. You believe, like I do, that that your evaluation is superior to God's. That, That somehow your opinions and your emotions and your fears are more reliable than His divine, authoritative, inerrant Word. You see, that that's what makes our fretting so evil because with it we're saying that God is not who He claims to be. Anxiety rejects His sovereignty. It rejects His goodness. It says that He's not faithful, that He won't deliver us, that He's unable, that that He doesn't love us. See, if you get this, trusting God is not about whipping up trust. It's actually about rightly beholding the source of that trust. That, that's why verse 4 begins with this command. Delight yourself in the Lord. It, it doesn't say mentally force yourself to trust. No, it says delight yourself in the Lord. It, enjoy who He is, not what you can do. And and be clear, the accent here is not on us delighting. Just like it's not on us trusting in verse 3, or us committing in verse 5, or us being still in verse 5. See, these commands, each of these commands in the center section to, to trust, to delight, to commit, to be still, they can tempt us to focus on on those imperatives themselves, on what we have to, oh, okay, I've got, I've got to delight, I've got to trust, you know, let me cultivate waiting on the Lord more. And, and, and we can be distracted by those things. But listen, the operative phrase in each of those lines is not the verb. It's the noun, the Lord, who He is in His person, not how do we, we relate to Him? That's, that's not the point. See, verse 3 says, trust in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Be still before the Lord. It's not about you. It's about the Lord and His greatness and His worthiness. Psalm 37, like the rest of Scripture, is all about God. If you go away from here thinking, man, I've got to put to death my fretting. I've got to be more committed and I need to trust, trust God. If, you, if that's your take home, I, I failed or, or somehow you've completely missed it. This is not about us being more disciplined, my friends. It's not about us being more devoted. It's about the greatness of our God. And when we see that, we can't help but trust Him. See, the portrayal of God in Psalm 37 
draws our gaze away from our efforts to the one who is the epitome of all joy and splendor and strength and security and who categorically deserves our trust. Verse 2 shows him to be permanent. He's immovable. He's not like the grass which fades and withers. Verse 3 highlights his grace in giving his people the very land, which by the way was filled with a few enemies. Verse 4 discloses his unqualified power. Listen to the way it's worded. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. Those are three powerful words. He will act. Listen, we are not in that equation. There's nothing for us to fear, and there's nothing else for us to trust. And then verse 6 demonstrates His holiness and the, the absolute priority He places on righteousness. So the question is not, how can I trust God? But, but given who He is, how can I not? When I, when I see His grandeur, His, His benevolence, His justice, His, His knowledge, how can, I, how can I not trust Him? Let me conclude with this illustration when my kids were, were really young, we used to, and we still do sometimes, go to, to Washington, D.C. They have this great place called the Mall where there's all these free museums and monuments and things to see. And one time we were walking by the Art Museum, and, and you've already figured out that I'm not very cultured, so I wasn't really interested in going inside. I just, um, I just got issues. I don't like to say French words. I've I just feel feminine, like Monet and Renoir. And, and I'm sorry, if you are, I'm sure I'm insulting some people, but I'm just, I'm just kind of this country redneck kid. So I, I don't like art museums. So I wanted to play to my own strengths, which would be things that were like dangerous or reckless. So there's this, next to the art museum is these big pillars that kind of hold in the steps. It's about six and a half foot high. So I said to my four-year-old son, listen, buddy, get up on there and run and jump off and I'll catch you. That, to me, seems like a good time. But it, it didn't quite to my son at first. So he, Josiah was four. He gets up there and so, you know, I'm looking up. I'm like, okay, buddy, daddy's back here. Come jump. I'll catch you. And so I hear him and he's like, he's running, 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 slow down. So then he gets to the edge and he goes, but what if you miss me? No, no, I'm not going to miss you, buddy. I promise I'm going to catch you. You'll love it. Just get back there. Go. Try to get. So he backs up, you know. And so then I hear the patter, 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 patter. Slow down, slow down, slow down. He stops. He says, um, Daddy, uh, what, if, what if you don't catch me? Uh, honey, I'm going to catch you. I promise you, you don't have to worry. So he goes back. Finally, he, he screws up his courage, and he runs. I hear him. He keeps up his feet, and he jumps, and his eyes are closed, and I catch him. And the, I mean, I, I don't even have him back down on the ground. And guess what he says? Again, 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 again. So up he goes the steps. I mean, he runs, and this time he jumps a little bit further. And the next time he jumps, he's doing spins. And next time he does a gainer, he's doing backflips. I'm actually having trouble catching him. And so, so what's the deal with my son in that? He, here's what it is. He was thinking about himself. He, he couldn't sustain that fall. And I don't... I don't know. Was he, I wonder if I had the right trajectory, speed. It, he, it, the problem was, he, he was looking at his little self. He was fretting himself. But he, he forgot 
that I was the one catching him. Now, I'm not a pro-child catcher, but <laughs> I, I'm strong enough to catch him, and I'm coordinated enough, but here's more importantly, I, I love him too much to drop it. I'd let him land on my head before I'd let him fall. I, I, do, do you get the point? The issue with our fretting is not God. Our issue is our, ourselves. We're, we're looking at our own limitations. The, the choice is never, ever between trusting or fretting. It's just simply between God and you. If you find your life is marked by fretting, remember, if it's evidenced by envy or, or anger, then you just have an inaccurate view of the Lord. And you're looking at yourself too much. The, the, the only reason we would ever be tempted to trust ourselves is because we don't know who He is. We, we distort Him. We, we imagine things about Him that are false, but the solution is so wonderfully concise, my friends. Believe what He says. Believe what He reveals about Himself. Behold in His Word and in, his, in your life His greatness and His reliability and His mercy and His power and love. He cannot fail. He will not drop you. The Lord is faithful. And He is worthy of our trust. And we are not. And nowhere is that more evident than in the cross of Jesus Christ. Where He went to inconceivable lengths to forgive fretters like us for the countless times we have trusted ourselves instead of Him. Look no further than to that bloody sacrifice to see what God is really like in His disposition towards you. In His compassion and in His righteousness and in His wisdom and in His tenderness. His character and His ways are uniquely displayed at Calvary. There we behold the love of the Savior hanging for us on that tree and like nothing else that causes us to fret not ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, I'm looking at this, this glorious gathering of saints. Your grace is so evident in their lives. And Lord, I'm asking for that to be furthered. If they, as a congregation, are to get this truth we are considering in Psalm 37, what, what grace will come to their homes? What light will shine in the darkness? as the world, as their children, as neighbors and friends and spouses, see, trust in God, characterize. Increasingly see belief in His sovereignty and His purposes. Driving out the anger, driving out the complaining and the, the envy. Lord, do 
this great work by your Spirit. Cause your people to behold you, to delight in you, to to worship you in a way that they wouldn't think of looking to self. That the the thought of, of trying to find recourse or hope or answers in in their own efforts would become increasingly repulsive to them. And I pray there would be a deepening work of confidence in you and your word, a a faith towards you that causes anger and fretting to simply dissipate. Do that for these good people, Lord. Do it for your glory and do it in a way that causes others to see and to ask and to come and to taste and to be added to those like us who trust 